Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by Tell Me Studios for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrewer and I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing BlackBerry's attempt to go smart. So, Peter, can you lead us in on this, please? Well, yes. Black, BlackBerry, the mobile phone manufacturing company, recently uh, released a new uh, line of phones called the Key One. Um, and in true in true BlackBerry form, have persisted to use their physical keyboard with physical buttons rather than uh, moving to an on-screen keyboard, where most other manufacturers, I think every, nearly all, I, can't, I didn't find any others, like iPhones and samsung all use on-screen keyboards and that got us thinking why why do they persist with this but also what is the what the relative um, pros and cons of having a physical keyboard versus an on-screen keyboard right. can i just ask uh peter you probably know this more than me but blackberry have been struggling in recent years am i right i mean they used to be the number one sort of business uh, mobile provider right and then and now they're not so what's what's the story there yeah so they they have been struggling and uh, i think they recorded a loss in 2015 they recovered a bit last year but they've been they've not been performing nearly as well as iphone or samsung or htc or other manufacturers i mean the narrative is is that they've been they blackberries were out before smartphones were out and they've been superseded by smartphones um, and one of the things that happens on smartphones is the screen is built in. Sorry, the the, the keyboard is built in on what is a screen rather than a physical. Well, keyboard. I think it's fair to say that the BlackBerry phones have for a long time been smartphones, and because the, the smartphone thing is just to do with. I've the heard them called semi dumb or semi smart, but anyway, yeah, go on. Yeah, um, they have had sort of pro- the part of the problem is the, their choice of operating system isn't as good as Android or iOS. But um, I think what's interesting is that there's. I think that I think there's a lim- more limited market for people who want a physical keyboard, who would uh, people who would rather have a bigger screen that can act as a keyboard. I want to talk about keyboards. There's no doubt about that. Uh, but actually, isn't there also one of the reasons that people used Blackberries is something to do with their uh, encryption or something, which made it. It wasn't. I've got some vague recollection that during the London riots um, of I think I think it was 2011. Uh, that that it was the smartphone of choice for the urban yobbo because the the communications couldn't be intercepted or something. Am I making this up? I yes, I think they 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 ship as standard with end to end encryption, but that's that's easy to retrofit on any other phone. Right. Okay. Right. Okay. Great. It's not a unique selling point <laughs> yeah. for a BlackBerry. Sure. So I'm guessing, Peter, is your fairly pro. Blackberries. Now I don't know why I think that. No, I'm. Um, I'm you I'm, are totally I'm and totally, utterly wrong. <laughs> I'm totally. I'm totally the other way. No, I. I can see that there's some oh. people who would prefer uh, a keyboard, but given that, um, uh, well, what I what I can't understand is why BlackBerry persist in having a, a full a full keyboard. Well, can what, I? I mean, I think it's relevant here to discuss whether or not it's easier or better or more productive or more effective to use a specialized hard keyboard like you get with a BlackBerry. Now, I, I think, okay, if it isn't, if it isn't even as good as using a touchscreen keyboard, then there's not really much to argue. It's out and out worse. I think I, I, my assumption is that, uh, you know, based on my own experience, is that using a specialized keyboard, like, you know, like all phones used to have when you had the, the num- number pad and stuff, mm. uh, is just it actually just uh, better in a lot of ways 
um, it's just easier for your thumb to navigate, you know, by, by feel uh, than, you know, on a on a touchscreen keyboard where, where it's much easier to make mistakes. And I know that can be corrected with sort of autocorrect, but it's just not as good, right? So the question really comes down to, is that screen space um, better used with a specialized keyboard, which makes the typing bits of the experience better? Or is it better to leave that space uh, potentially usable by, e.g., Angry Birds or something? You know, you can get a whole other Angry Bird in <laughs> if, you, if you have that area of space. Um, I mean, I, my thing is that if you're typing a lot, it just, it's just out and out, you know, trade-off. I mean, if you're typing a lot, you probably want the specialized keyboard. And if you're not, then you probably don't. Um, I, uh, is Or is there some reason why that's not? Well, I, in, in, my, in my experience, I've not found. I, I had a BlackBerry for a long time for work. It was my work phone, and I didn't find the physical keyboard any easier to use than the on-screen keyboard. In fact, in some circumstances, although there, well, there is that the tactile home key thing, so you can you can navigate without looking. I actually found them harder to use. I was more likely to get the wrong key press because the the keys are actually very physically small. I think on screen keyboards are very good at detecting roughly where the big the center of your big thumb blob is and get, making the right guess for as what key you are going for. Okay, so for you it's relatively simple because the 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 actual hard keyboard as it were is less desirable anyway. So yours is definitely well why you know why would mm. you you know want that anyway? But I think uh, what Nick was saying, I mean, my feeling is actually uh, I do find it easier and I did find Blackberries easier than I do with an iPhone, for example. Mm. But for me, there's, yeah, I'm probably an example of probably the majority of people, which even if I found it easier, I just don't care. I'll just find, I'll just go with a, yeah. a, an iPhone, even though I do find it harder to type. Because um, I do like that sort of bigger screen and I don't know why, but... Uh, so for, for, for really for me, the, the having the extra screen space for other things, you know, more information on the app... An extra angry bird. Um, is, is far outweighs the, yeah. the, the, the sort of physical nature of the keyboard. I think the issue here is about optimal specialization, really. This is it's sort of... And it's a very ubiquitous problem that we, we have to sort of think about. And everyone has to solve this problem. Is to what extent you want a solution to a problem you have to be something very specialised to that to that problem, or whether you want it to be something very very general that will cope with lots of other problems. And um, you know, it's interesting if we just have spend a second looking at how what the kinds of solutions evolution has come up with. Um, that you know, usually in a particular niche, you'll find things which are very specialised. Um, and you know, so you, you you'll get um, something like a woodpecker, which is very specialised to you know an environment where insects live in trees. Woodpecker isn't going to survive in the Arctic, for example. Um, whereas uh, human intelligence is a very general kind of tool that can survive in lots of environments. Um, you know, whereas our, uh, if you take something like our lungs, they're highly specialised to living on land in exactly the kind of air we have, which means that we, although our hands are going to work fine if we go to Mars, because they're very general, uh, our lungs won't. Our lungs are very specialised. Now, the question is, what what drives us, you know, in one direction or the other? Is presumably, I mean, I'm just, uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's actually going to depend on the nature of the problem, but there's the issue of how predictable the environment is. You know, if it's very, very predictable, then you can afford to specialise. But if you're going to face lots and lots of very different types of challenges, you know, if, we, if actually half the time, uh, you know, the, the land on Earth was covered by water, we would evolve something which was um, going to cope with both circumstances. And that would be more expensive, you would assume. You know, it'd be more expensive to evolve that. Um, and I think that's the, that, but that sort of trade-off which we face all the time in designing products, you know, 
what kinds of what what kinds of uh, special do you want your product to be really really good at one thing or or moderately good at loads of things and i think one of the interesting findings from evolutionary history is generally uh animals and organisms that specialize are much more vulnerable to extinction because the environment might change and i think you can probably find examples of that um you know in in the yeah. business world but that, and that's distinct and quite different from saying that a specialized tool is always better than a general tool you can have general tools which are as good at lots of different things as opposed to uh, as are as good as specialized tools at any one thing um i mean a good example is uh, a, a a very high quality adjustable spanner that is as good as any other of the range of spanners that it will that it will cover uh, another good example which i think is more and more important is the 3d printing uh, if you have a 3d printer it's it's much more costly and complicated than a than the uh the equivalent milling milling and molding and other sort of cutting processes that you go through manufacturing but it is much much more general it can do many many more things than any one of those uh other more traditional manufacturing processes but i guess that you know an adjustable spanner is more expensive right than one spanner uh, yes. i mean it must yeah. be right so you know if all nuts were the same size then you know the the non-adjustable spanner would win, right? Yeah, yeah. So so really, the the reason that we think of adjustable spanners as being uh, as being uh, superior is simply because we live in a world of uh, a crazy world of different nut sizes, where we can never be sure how big the next nut's going to be. But presumably, if you're used to working on, you know, if you've got a spanner which you you are packing to to repair, then you know you change your tire wheels or your car wheels or something, mm. then then that's when specialization is is better, right? Yes, yeah. So if you if you if you can pre 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 guess what range of things you're going to need. So cyclists only would only carry one kind of spanner because all the nuts are. Uh, yeah, and, and I suppose then there's the issue of the extent to which you can change the environment so that your specialized tool is is becomes more general. And I suppose we've kind of done that with uh, with our own human environments. Uh, you you might superficially go, wow, isn't it great that our hands are exactly the right size for cups? You know, but but of course um, we've designed the cups to fit our hands, and if our if our hands were different, um, you know, then we we would be designing different objects. So mm. you know, that's I suppose that's another potential response: is you design a really really specialized tool, and then you go around changing the world uh, so that that tool will fit every situation. Mm. Uh, I suppose like Allen keys, they they always seem to be the same size. Uh, not really. There's well, a big range, <laughs> a big range of sizes of Allen keys. Yeah, but if I said give me an Allen key, right? There's there's exactly one Allen key you would give me, and it's like the I've... one that all IKEA furniture is the same size as. Oh, you're lost because oh, IKEA that... made, they made that a design constraint. Right, so they exactly. Can, uh, they can ship one kind of spanner with. Their, yeah, so uh, would it be a better world if everything was made by IKEA? You know, and <laughs> no. <if> you just had. <laughs> what would what would be neat is if you had a sort of modular spanner that you just needed uh, other spanners of exactly the same size, and you could clip them together in some way to make bigger spanners and then you still only need one component to have lots of different sizes. yeah like that thing in uh, big hero six what what <laughs> there's a some guy invents these little nanobots that join together and can form any structure um i suppose that that's the sort of ultimate universal tool right something which can just become anything mm, um, yeah but Listen, I think I think so. In, I mean, just taking th trying to move to a slightly more real world type problem. Mm. I mean, this is something that the military worry about all the time. Is you know, are, are we are we is our military? If you think of the military as a giant tool, um, you know, is it is it uh, is it general enough to cope with as wide a range of things as as we uh, as we want? 
you know, of kind of contingencies that might appear. Uh, and, and But the question is, should we, should we actually try and specialise it towards operations which we are going to choose to be involved in? So, so we might say, you know, well, we're actually, we're just not going to bother with, you know, large-scale land warfare anymore. It's not going to be something we'll, we'll attempt to, to tackle. Uh, you know, so we, we, um, we no longer pl- plan to have a military that can cope with that. You know, and the question of how unlikely a scenario has to be before you decide you're not going to actually gear your response to that, um, which is, you know, one example of a really common type of type of decision problem. Mm. But isn't the answer that you do a bit of both? Is it possible to do a bit of both? Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is that it w- will depend. It will depend on, you know, the costs of um, what the cost of, of having a generalized military is. I mean, you can assume... I think the assumption would always have to be that a specialised thing is always cheaper. Now, if it isn't, then obviously you go for the generalised thing. But in, in general, if you can specialise, if we know, if we absolutely know what the three types of conflict we're going to be up against in the next 20 years is, um, then we, you know, we can save a lot of money by just having armed forces that can deal exactly with those threats. Um, but the, the usually, you know, if you look at the history of the way that um, warfare evolves, is it's usually something surprising that comes along. Um, you know, so we, we uh, First World War, you know, started out being um, not too dissimilar to Napoleonic kinds of assumptions about how you how what the optimal way to fight a war was uh, and ended up being something close to a Second World War um, kind of blitzkrieg type. Yeah, type of highly maneuverist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they, they, they get, but it's complicated because it's uh, when when you have one thing designed uh, to do a specific thing, often it's quite good at doing lots of other things. So it's 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 very difficult to, in these complicated things like warfare, have highly specific tools. So a ship um, is very good at sailing across oceans and sh- uh, fighting with other ships in open oceans, but it's also very useful to sit park offshore to provide a sort of mobile command center or provide a platform for sending helicopters onshore. Mm-hmm. So it's, it has lots of purposes to it. Likewise, the infantry soldier is a necessary component for um, industrial-style warfare, trench fighting, and 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 house towns clearances type stuff. Traditional sort of Second World War kind of uh, kind of fighting, but they are very general th- general things. They can be retrained quite quickly to do peacekeeping operations, to do police support operations, and to do lots of and uh, and, and evacuations and things. So they, they they're very general tools. So can our uh, conversation be summed up as generally general is good i don't think so i think i think it's more subtle than that i think it you know this is and this boils down to why the military put so much emphasis on intelligence why government in general put evident uh, put emphasis on intelligence and particularly on um you know forecasting and being able to being able to forecast in a strategic kind of time frame so 20 30 years because we've got to make those decisions now so we have to but we've got to buy an aircraft carrier now which we're going to potentially be using for the next 30 years mm-hmm. um so we we have to we have to form a view about yeah. uh, what things might happen. Now there is a kind of extreme, a, a sort of um, fatalism, uh, which which is not I think is not totally without foundation. Where you just say, look, any attempt to try and forecast you know, what kinds of conflicts we're going to have is doomed because we always get it wrong. You know, as soon as we start saying, well, everything's going to be like Afghanistan and we're going to have, you know, lots of, um, it's all going to be based on sort of peace support and, um, you know, small you know, small kinds of units and, and special forces operations and all of that, then suddenly, you know, the spectre of a land war with Russia, <laughs> Russia arises or, you know, inevitably we're going to get it wrong. Mm. Um, so, so there's a sort of nihilism which says, well, look, we're just going to, all we're going to do, we're not even going to think about what we're going to use it for. 
for. We're just going to have really, really general yeah. armed yeah. forces that are configurable and modular, you know, where we can easily add bits or take bits off. Um, but obviously that is expensive, uh, having having armed forces that are like that. It's going to it's going to cost you more. Like, it's, you know, it's going to be if, if you've got an adjustable spanner. Um, you know, you'll, you'll sort of regret having bought that if, if all the nuts turn out to be the same. And I think that that's why um, aircraft carriers, fighter jets, all these big programs are so expensive is because they set extreme stretch targets. They say, well, what's, how fast are planes today? How fast do we need to be to beat them? How fast could they possibly be in about 20 years' time? Let's aim for that so we can, st- we can still head those off. Um, and that sets very challenging engineering targets to meet. And so it takes a long time to, to design and test and build these things. And so just going back to the example with which we started uh, with Blackberry, or Blueberry, as my mum used to call them. Um, <laughs> can you get a kind of, Peter, can a Raspberry Pi interface with a, with a Blackberry? Well, yes, in a number of different ways, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they used to, the, 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 the MOD used to have a variant of Blackberries, for, which was more secure than the normal Blackberries, called Redberries. Nice. Yeah. Um, so is it... Because my feeling with them is they've taken a, a gamble where um, they said, okay, yes, a, a generalist approach has become more popular and people like to use a, a big widescreen on their smartphones because they can do all sorts of stuff. But we think there's a niche value um, in having a, a hard keyboard and we're going to bet on that. And, you know, BlackBerry once dominated um, mobile devices. And have they kind of given up on that and said, look, we're just going to go after a niche of, of people who, who like um, a, a, a hard keyboard. Do you think that's what's happened in this case? I think, yeah, I think, they, I think they're appealing to their traditional client base who um, like the physical keyboard. But I think they're limiting themselves in um, unnecessarily think- limiting themselves because it's quite easy. to ha- You could have two variants of the same phone, one with a slightly larger screen without the physical keyboard yeah. and just additional software to give you the keyboard. Um in fact, the BlackBerry I had, um, you could have an on-screen keyboard next to the the, the physical keyboard, which could be like the entire screen. Like, like the Rick Wakeman of emailing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> using two separate keyboards at the same time. Yeah. Um, really, really cool. Uh, but yeah, it, it, so it's not it's not impossible to do that. And just have, and then have, uh, the, way that, the way that product management goes these days is quite easy to have lots of different similar products, which are variants on a core yeah. product. Like the iPhone, you have multiple sizes of screen. Um, yeah. but they're essentially the same thing are we moving to what I'm just thinking out loud here but uh, I mean the trend over uh, you know over the last sort of 30 years has been towards almost total interoperability because obviously every everything now is software more by and large you know and mm. and almost everything can interface with everything else and I think you know people would probably be amazed looking back 30 years you know how how you absolutely had to get the right version of mm. every bit of software you know had to be and it wasn't like you could download drivers and things if if there was an incompatibility everything had to be compatible with everything else I just wonder if we're going to move to a situation where basically you know everything you, you almost don't need to worry about what what you know what hardware you've got because everything will be totally yeah um, i think well, i think we're almost for most cases we're there now i mean you you uh, we live our do all our it using google services and various cloud services so we could go out to the shops and buy mac machines and not suffer any kind of loss um uh so i think we're more or less there sort of yeah in, in the age old days you go to ibm and say we need a 
computer for our business and they provide everything from the power sockets all the way up to the software um, whereas now it's, it's strated there are like layers which you can go right we need we need the bit that between the software bit and the disk that does the management of that bit and that's sort of called your operating system you can choose one and but you, you can and you can swap them out for different ones because it doesn't affect your application layer or the physical layer you can you keep them the same so yeah it's, it's, it's sort of as as it's matured you've got these strata developed and you can you can swap them in and out because mm-hmm. they're independent a bit like getting separates for your hi-fi Yes, a bit like that. It's yeah. uh, really if you were you were, if you were a real audiophile and you listened to Miles Davis, you'd, you'd go and get your separates. But yeah. for most people, you know, a, a kind of I wanted to say full stack there. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, something where it was all built in, integrated, a hi-fi thing was was uh, you know all the rage. Well, this sort of leads into what I wanted to wrap up on actually, which is um, you know moving away from this just for a bit of fun, moving away from this sort of general versus specific. Um, one of the things we're kind of talking about here is a little bit about technology that has passed, okay? Um, and just for fun, I just wanted to ask, is there any bit of either technology or anything from from the past, just indulge in a bit of nostalgia, uh, that, that you that you regret the passing of, that you wish was still around and you wish you still used at all? So take a moment to think about that. But Well, something, something that I kind of regret, not, not that I didn't, not something that I used um, and it's gone away, something, but I regret something that it sort of, was there but never really took off um is the one-handed keyboard so the, the lot, there's still a few little uh, little manufacturers coming up with one one-handed keyboards around but it had the one-handed keyboard become standard uh as standard as your oh you mean keyboard. for typing for sorry yeah, yeah they would be they would be brilliant for sort of mobile mobile um uh, mobile computing because you could hold your you hold your phone in one hand and navigate using your thumb uh, like as you would with a mouse and then you can type with a little device in your pocket to at, at full speed as an, on a normal keyboard and it's a shame those those haven't really sort of course got much traction as uh, I, standard I, th- devices. I think mine uh, but I think old <coughs> see Peter's picked quite a recent uh, obsolete technology um, I, I in general you know mechanical things uh, are much more attractive because they, they can be complex, but you do feel like you could look at them really hard and work out how they worked. And I, one thing that I, I, I really love, um, you know, analog, old old style physical communications devices, the way that they used to work. And my favorite one is those, you know, those things they used to use to send money, um, you know, in shops. They'd send that they'd, to get change or to, or to, you know, to make sure there wasn't too much money in the till. They'd put, they'd put the money inside a wooden ball and hoist it up on a pulley, and then it would it would go on a little track into the back room where they mm. where they kept the money. The, um, the... That was just so cool. And um, you mm. know, nowadays, what do they do to send money? They press a button, and it and it appears in a <laughs> bank account. It's so boring. Well, they, yeah, the old the, those tubes uh, that, that they used to send checks up to the yeah. to check office to to get uh, processed. Oh, anything with muffins. tubes, valves and tubes and stuff. Yeah, are just yeah. Better. very very steampunk. Yeah. It's funny. There's a lot of that goes on in 1984 in the novel, right? Tubes yes. going back and forth. Yeah. And in um, well, in in Brazil, the film Brazil, which I think Peter and I are huge fans of, mm. which shows a kind of alternative future where uh, computers are all very kind of analog and uh, and and quite unsophisticated yeah, and yeah. require a lot of human. Pr- yeah. One thing, um, the uh, one bit of technology that springs to mind that I quite like, and I think these think this system was quite common in German apparent in Germany apparently. Um, but I once worked at uh, the headquarters for Granada TV Rentals, um, and um, I think you could buy TVs from them as well. But anyway, that, that I mean that in itself is quite an odd thing renting TVs. Right. But, I mean, I I, rem- I rented my first couple of TVs. 
Yeah, I remember renting yeah. one in Ireland actually. When I, I lived there about fifteen years ago. Tell that to a kid today; they'd be shocked. Yeah, but listen, in so in, in Granada um, head office, they had this really uh, cool lift system, which was um, where it was just on a kind of conveyor, a conveyor belt. It's a paternoster lift. Is that what it's called? Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a paternoster. Yeah, that's such it, an unusual. It parts you with your legs if you get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that was that was the that was what was fun about it was the frisson of danger. And, yeah, and, my, my they had one at Birmingham University apparently, and my parents told me about it. And apparently, if you were a real kind of crazy cat, you you'd get in it and ride it all the way round. <laughs> Um, it actually does turn upside down i think at the top. yeah they must right? do yeah yeah i'm sure it does okay um okay well look anything um i don't know if there's anything pithy to round up on but um um yeah so in the sort of cheetah versus lion debate um i'm, I'm not sure what our conclusion is cheetah or lion well aren't they both aren't they both sort of specialized well the cheetah is way more specialized than a lion I remember seeing a documentary about cheetahs um, where they they were tr- they had they were trying to rear some cheetahs in captivity, you know, as a kind of conservation thing, and they discovered that the cheetahs simply would not eat meat if you put it in front of them. Um, <laughs> they just wouldn't eat it. They didn't know what to do with it, and they they eventually had to they had to put the meat on a trolley and make the trolley move really fast. And then the cheetah would the hunting instinct would kick in, and it would it would run after the meat, and then it would eat the meat. Um, I mean, that's, again, a good example of like specialization because the, the cheetahs don't ever encounter meat that doesn't run away. So, so you know, okay, so there's I mean, a great you, bit of advice. Now, the question is, if cheetahs evolved to be as intelligent as humans, what, you know, they wouldn't be able to just get stuff out of the fridge. They'd have to take it for a drive first before they, before they knew to <laughs> sure. eat it. Well, look, what I'm going to take away from this, and thank you, Aleph, for this insight, is, is that um, if I ever I found myself in the savannah with a cheetah uh, charging right at me, it's clear what my path is. Chuck a path. bacon sandwich in the opposite direction. <laughs> well, I was going to, but, but in the absence of a bacon sandwich, I just have to stand stock still yeah, and yeah. I shall be fine. So I, well, uh, I did want to, I did want to edit. I did want to say one more thing. Got, what's the word when you get animals and you collide them together? It's like a chim- jam. Ch- chimera. 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 Right. Okay. So. I I I've got op- I'm optimistic that um, that technology will make the 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 idea of, re- of generality versus speciality certainly in consumer electronics much less relevant. So I, I think there's going to be a, sort of a chimeras of of cheetahs and and lions in mobile handsets. There, there's lots of really interesting work going on in, in in making your on your screen tactile so that you can actually feel bumps and things. So you could outline on the keyboard area a keyboard and have all the same benefits of a keyboard that you had before because you've got these bumps appearing on your on your screen. There we go. Well, if someone hasn't patented that already, then... Um, oh, it's, 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 it's long, it's long, long been patented. Haptic feedback, is that what it's called? No. No, haptic, well, haptic feedback, I think, is when it, it generates artificially something, like when it vibrates. But this is this will actually be a fi- this will have a physical feel to right. it, so it'd be tactile. Gentlemen, we'll have to stop there. Um, I uh, well, I enjoyed that. Um, so thank you very much, as always, to Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. I'm Fraser McGrew, and uh, thank you for listening. And until next time, bye bye. <laughs>